Hello and welcome to Molding Masculinity. I'm Tom McFarland here today uh, with Philip Sipe. And today it's time for our fatherhood episode. Uh, we're going to discuss um, uh, consumerism, which was uh, when we talked about the pink tax and rainbow capitalism, uh, building healthy relationships, polyamory and monogamy, sexual harassment at work and everywhere else, and hobbies, labor, and all of the items included within that. Um, so where would you like to begin today, Philip? Hmm. It's, a uh, it's an interesting question. They're all kind of interesting in their own rights. I think hobbies is probably a good starting point just because like, I, I think there's an interesting angle here when it comes to hobbies of, um, you know, a lot of like hobbies and interests start as, um, you know, interests as children. And, you know, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but like the perception of hobbies and certain, certain, particularly certain kinds of hobbies being like, you know, stuff that kids do or children, you know, uh, for children is, uh, is a weird perception that exists. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, anyway, I think that's an interesting angle in particular to, to come at this from. I, I agree. And, it, and this is one that I, I discover a lot um, through my previous work working uh, in parks and recreation. You know, this is something we we deal with a lot. A lot of our job is helping kids discover their hobbies um, and, and explore new sports and activities and things like that. And uh, it's something where I differ with a lot of uh, mainstream parents and kind of my ideas of how that should be addressed in parenting. Uh, I think we run into a lot of, especially in the kind of communities that I'm from, there's a lot of uh, inflicted control over what, you know, a kid's, ho what, what, what hobbies are worth pursuing, right? You know, it's, it's, mm. There's a lot of parents trying to push their kids into the same hobbies that they went into. There's only certain sports that are, you know, cool or, you know, there's all these like limits and reasons and arguments on what you want your kids hobbies to be in this attempt to kind of shape kids into being what you want them to be. And I don't agree with that. First of all, I, I think you should like an important part of growing up is learning about yourself and learning what you enjoy doing. You can't do that unless you do the things that you enjoy. Um, if you're constantly being told to go do the things that your parents want you to do, it's just not going to, I don't know, that, that doesn't flow together to me. And then the other element of that is then forcing kids to do something longer than they wish to be doing them. Uh, this idea of never quitting, like, okay, you're going to start football. You're not allowed to quit playing football. You're going to have to see this through all the way through because if you quit playing football and start playing another sport, you're not going to get good enough at that other sport to go pro one day. So you have to start playing this sport at the age of three and continue until you're able to play in the NFL. And that is super toxic, in my opinion, for a number of reasons. And one of those being that it just keeps you from being able to explore the hobbies you might enjoy. Yeah. And my experience with this so far is one that like this kind of exists on a bit of a um, with a certain tension with uh, maturity. So like um, like never quitting, for example, um, there's a really easy tendency for a lot of kids and not every kid is like this, but a lot of them are 
uh, of, you know, like things get difficult, you know, you hit up a barrier and it's like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to stop. I, I don't, I don't want to do this. It's too hard. And, you know, there, I think, I think a lot of people like end up like just reacting of like, no, you have to keep doing it because you can't be a quitter or whatever. And I think it, that's informed a lot about why the things you're talking about. But I also think there's uh like my experience is like, there's the other tension of like, you can't become a kind the kind of person where um, anytime anything becomes difficult, you just immediately give up. Um, and so like what I end up doing with my kids when it comes to this, because they've both been in Taekwondo for a while and we had to have this conversation a couple of times, um, which is, you know, there was some uh, sentiments expressed like, oh, I'm, I'm tired of doing this or I don't want to do this type of thing or it's too hard or whatever. And there was always the question of like, okay, well, um, if you don't like doing this, if it's not something you're interested in at all, you don't want to get your black belt, you know, you don't want to do whatever goal they have had or whatever, then that's fine. You know, you, you don't, you're not defined by whether or not you do Taekwondo. Right. Uh, but you know, so it's like, is that true? Do you want, do, are you not interested in this? Do you not want to get your black belt? Do you not want to do this thing? Like, no, I really want that. It's just, this is really hard. Okay. Well, you know, this is part of the journey to getting that, you know, and that's going to involve doing some hard things that if you want that end goal, you're going to have to figure out how to do this and to figure out how to power through and not quit. You like, you have attention here of like, I don't want to do this and I do want this end goal. And you have to do the thing you don't want to get your end goal. Now, you like you kind of walk them through the process of like evaluating conflicting desires and goals in your own mind and all that stuff. And you kind of let them answer the question for themselves. And you just keep, continue to emphasize, hey, you know, there is nothing that you're going to do in life where the, like you like 100% of it. You know, even my absolute favorite things to do, there are parts of it that um, suck, <laughs> you know, that that are not the fun parts. Uh, maybe 99% of it's fun. Maybe I enjoy it almost every time, but every now and then this thing comes up and it kind of sucks and you have to deal with it, right? Like um, kind of emphasizing that to them and letting them sort of process the idea that like sometimes you have to be able to power through things that you don't want to do to gain the skills or the whatever you need to to progress towards an end goal that you do ultimately want you have to be able to exercise and experience the discomfort with um you know physical exertion to get uh the health goals that you want or whatever you know like there's a lot of this kind of stuff as a grown-up and help helping walk them through it and and importantly it also helps you identify is this a lack of interest? And, you know, are we to the point, like, if I push this, would I be forcing my kid to do something that they're just not interested in? Or, you know, am I helping guide them through the processing of an emotional state to get to a point where they can go like, no, I do want to do this, you know? Um, and it's, it's, it's hard. Um, because sometimes the, you know, your kid is just in a really emotional state and they can't even have that conversation with you. And they're like, no, I just want to quit. I just want to quit. Sometimes you have to like walk away. You say today, we're going to stop. We're going to go home. You're clearly not 
in a position to be in, you know, Taekwondo class right now, we're going to go home. And it's embarrassing and it sucks as a parent to, to be there in front of a bunch of adults and your kids throwing a fit. But you go home and when the next day or later that evening or whatever, when people have calmed down, you have that conversation. Hey, do you actually not like this? Or were you just like really frustrated today, you know, type of thing? Because you got you to gotta be able to draw that line. And I think that's the hard one to that you know, to, to go with the tension of like, you can't be someone who quits, but uh, anytime you think it's difficult, but you also, I also don't want to be the parent who's making you do something that you hate and aren't interested in because uh, I have some idea about like, you know, the never quit attitude. That's very informed by, like you said, uh, capitalism, essentially pro sports and all that stuff. Yeah. I think all of that is very, very valid. I mean, um, and, 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 and yeah, I think there is like a balance that has to be taken place there. And I mean, and a lot of that is, um, yeah, the elements that, you know, the concerns that I talk about are negated when you simply approach hobbies as hobbies as they are this, you know, kids, your kids learning sports are about that process of learning and about the things that they are gaining from that the, you know the things you're talking about right there the work ethic the the elements the the, the 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 elements of that that they're learning are the important part not this um kind of long-term goal that i think a lot of folks get into their head for a mixture of reasons some very valid and some not that these things that your kids are embarking on in, in elementary ages are things that have to turn into profitable capital, you know, things that they are going to do later on in life. How is this going to profit them? Um, and, and, I, and, I, and there's elements of that that are – when I say elements of that are valid, what I mean is, you know, like coming from a working class background, like – we, you know, there, there's this thing that it kind of exists in our society of like uh, telling people that they shouldn't worry about money. And that is something that really pisses off poor and working class folks very rightly, because like that's a privilege to not have to worry about money. Even if you are the most left leaning anarchist, not about capitalism person, there is a certain element of, well, but in order for me to survive and to you know, ensure my kids have an ability to survive within the system. They have to worry about money. And so there's elements of that that come up in like, you know, in, in, in black and brown and indigenous communities, worrying about uh, getting college scholarships so you can do professional sports isn't just about buying into the like the, the, the myths of capitalism. Part of that is also about having to operate inside of a gamified system that makes it to where people's uh, sports uh, accolades are what designate whether or not they're going to be able to get in college and therefore whether or not they're going to get in be able to get into jobs that actually pay a living wage uh, later on in life so like all of that kind of does become uh integrated together uh, so i think there's like you know there, there are valid reasons to concern about that but I think if you're approaching all of this from, yeah, these kind of directions of like, these are hobbies and important things for kids to learn at a young age, to learn these kind of elements and lessons from, that they will then be able to apply to things that hopefully will help them kind of climb out of those kind of, you know, uh, situations and things. I mean, like for me, that was music when I was a kid and my parents... I think were very encouraging of my interests in music recording and in you know, like doing music. 
um, they were very supportive in that. And I think part of that was this kind of an idea that you get that your kids need to develop some kind of crazy, incredible talent so that they can survive within capitalism. And, uh, yeah, they were very supportive of that. It, there was a frustrating moment of re me realizing in adulthood how much of that was gamified and how much of that was random, right? You, you really quickly realize in the music industry that, like, uh, extremely hardworking, extremely talented um, musicians exist in ridiculous plentiful numbers out there who are not successful like you know it success in the music industry is largely about um who you know and then just pure raw luck those two things coming together so you know yeah like that definitely was a frustrating thing as you kind of come to adulthood and learn like oh well i'm probably it doesn't matter how hard i work on this you know how hard i work on this hobby it's never going to become like super pop pop profitable and i think that same yeah go ahead oh sorry i was just gonna say there's a, a, a whole you know complex around that when it comes to music i mean the amount of people like who um who just give their entire lives to master a thing because it's a prerequisite for even having the opportunity to potentially be professional at it um, is staggering. Um, and like, I mean, I remember I, I, cause I played the violin for a really long time and I almost considered going to school for it, but I got really fed up with like the political aspect of, of music, you know, uh, it being about who, you know, and who likes you and whether or not like, cause I got, um, I was always kind of like neck and neck with this other player in the high school orchestra for first chair. And, uh, he always got it. And, uh, you know, objectively he's way better than me now because he actually went to school for it and went and did it. Um, but at the time, you know, we were a lot closer, uh, to the degree that he shouldn't have always beaten me for sure. Um, and I know for a fact there were certain, you know, auditions where I did better than he did. Because uh, I heard him and I heard myself and I know he made a pretty obvious mistake, but he got it anyway. And it was very obvious that it was because um, the orchestra teacher liked him more. I, I don't blame him for it. You know, he was just doing his you know best and he got for sure all the time. That's great. But like there like that experience kind of got me kind of soured on it a little bit. Um, and the thing that was kind of the nail in the coffin was I went to. um, um hear some guy play uh some i, I don't remember who it was he was a somewhat pop, uh, famous violinist not like any of the really big famous pop violinists that people probably know uh but you know i heard him playing he was amazing obviously like very very good and you know he was out in the lobby talking to you know some audience members and stuff and one lady like said like oh man i would give my life to play that well and he said i did and i just went oh right i don't want that like that that was a moment of me going like no i don't that's not worth it to me um i kept playing for a while and still kind of flirted with it for a bit you know but like more and more it became obvious that the cost for doing this professionally was so high that it would require me to sacrifice more than i was willing to 
to to be able to do it and um you know it really um it really was uh fueled a lot of my like difficulty in in picking even picking up my violin back up again i still do it from time to time but uh never can get myself to be in practice mode because i have all this like stuff attached to it now it's kind of disappointing yeah i mean and that's valid and i you know i um i had a friend in high school who was a uh softball player soft like a virtually like um local celebrity softball player like she was incredibly good insanely good had played ever since she was a kid and uh like we all like she was so known for this and it was such a like part of her identity that we all just assumed that oh well like she loves softball um and i remember like a conversation i had with her senior year right before we graduated and she was telling me how like you know her parents she had a like a college scholarship for softball and stuff and uh she was telling me how she really wanted to go to school somewhere else and was really looking forward to like getting out of high school because it was a step away from softball and away from her parents making her do softball and that and it was like a moment where i learned it she fucking hated softball <laughs> and uh had just been forced to do it and pressured into doing it and i mean i'm sure her parents had even convinced themselves that she loved doing it but she was just so exasperated with it and wanted nothing to do with it and it was that was like a thing that like kind of caused me to um rethink even my own approaches to things and, and you know of like that of like you know like how much of myself do i want to give into this thing of what if maybe later on because i know i'm sure at one point she probably loved playing softball you don't make it that many like that much of your life uh doing a thing without at some point having enjoyed it to some degree you just wouldn't get good at it um and so i was always like i started being concerned after that about like man what if i give my whole life to this one very specific skill set and then I, then I hate it. Then I hate it for that. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give my life for one thing. And I think that kind of changed a lot of my directions moving forward. And it caused me, because like really in high school, like I was, a, I was the guy who did music. Everybody knew that I recorded music and I did hip hop. Like uh, I was the guy who was known for that. And it was kind of assumed that I would move on and do that after, after high school. And I kind of didn't. And I think that played a big role in that. Um, so yeah, I, I think that kind of envelops a lot of uh, approaches in, in in parenting and and in you know calls for caution around hobbies and you know yeah. and all of you know all of that is to say hobbies are great, fantastic. It's one of the best parts of being a kid is that you have so much time to dedicate to doing the things you enjoy doing like that. Um, and I think it's important that you know like kids are forced to spend so much of their time doing things they don't enjoy doing, namely being school, being eight hours a day of school, being equivalent to our work week of school. I think this is something adults often fail to really process in their head that like, you know, kids going to school eight hours a day has some equivalency to our work day. Like they don't enjoy that. And we also do something eight hours of our day we don't enjoy. We should be able to... um uh respect and understand their unwillingness mm -hmm. or uninterest in spending their time after they get home from school doing more things they don't enjoy <laughs> right <laughs> for sure 
and that's that that kind of circles back into the the one other thing that I want to talk about in this particular space, which was like the idea of um you know, making your kids extracurricular time, you know, stuff that they don't enjoy, you know, you kind of touched on this when you talked about like, you know, parents sort of forcing to like, forcing their kids to like the things they like. And this is another thing that I think um, ends up being like this kind of uh, weird tension, uh, which is that like, for example, uh, my experience is that like, um, you know, there's certainly uh, personality tendencies that like your kids do and don't like certain types of things. Um, but at the same time, you know, there are things that like, it's inevitably true. Otherwise, like, it's, it's inevitably true that like your job as a parent is to shape your child. Uh, and, uh, it sort of is a, um, if it's not like what what are even parents for um but at the same time like you know there exists an attention with the fact that like kids do have some inborn personality traits and you we definitely have seen the parents that um uh, are, are trying to live vicariously through their children um and that sucks um but i do think that like one thing that is really valuable to do is to show your kids the things that you're into the things that are your hobbies to sort of introduce them to it let them see if they like it you know and try to explain to them here's why i like this you know here's something that i find interesting you know and um you know but i think it's important to like as a parent recognize that like it's very human and normal to really want your kids to like the things you want to like because there's an appeal to having a little person in your house that you can just like do the thing you love and they're there with you doing it and they love it too. And it's great. And like, when that happens, it's, it's awesome, but don't let that, you know, tunnel you into thinking like into like needing your kid to like the thing that you like to the point that you're like, sort of like shoving them into it and like, you know, be honest with their reaction to it. Be, um, open to having them be like oh that's kind of cool but that's not my thing like um because um you can get trapped in, in into into that as a parent you know there there is a there is one thing to show your kid the things they like and try to like introduce them to those things and explain why they're cool and like you know maybe sort of like you know, there's a sort of inevitable degree of like influence that you exert just by being a parent of like saying, here's a thing that I like, your kid is kind of predisposed to want to like that thing because it will make you happy. But um, I don't think that means that you should be totally hands off and never share anything you like, because you might be influencing your kid, like they're not a fully formed person, you know. Um, but um, also don't, use your kid as a vehicle to have a second childhood <laughs> um, 100 yeah 100 yeah. and and yeah i think that's super valid i mean i you know one of the things i really appreciate when i grew up was that like yeah my dad introduced me to all of his hobbies but never pushed them on me and i mean and then, like this is important because like my dad was me and my dad are very different people in a lot of ways um i am 
a lot. I, especially as a kid, was way nerdier than him. Like my interests did not align with his interests. Uh, and and my dad loved hunting and fishing, uh, and he took me with him hunting and fishing a lot, and he shared those interests with me a lot. But he never like criticized me for not being interested in them the same way he was. He never like. You know, I never in any way felt that I was uh, letting him down or that he was uh, disappointed in me if I wasn't into that. It just never felt that way. It kind of like, you know, it happened. Oh, yeah, I went fishing with him, whether I enjoyed it or not. He kind of got a feel for that. And maybe in the future, he'd go without me. If he, you know, if it, it seemed pretty clear that that wasn't my thing. Um, and, and that was good like that built our relationship up to what it is today and i mean and 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 later on we did find things that we shared interests in we later found out that you know like uh his love of 80s action movies very much was something that i shared and a lot of my like preteen years was spent uh when my dad was on dialysis uh me and him watching all the 80s action movies and very much having that appreciation together um, that was, you know, that was something that was bonding and it was honest and true. And it, we were able to have that honest, true bonding because it was never forced with other things. And I never like felt this kind of a, like, uh, dad's going to force me to be into this other thing that he's into. Like I never felt that way. And even though I am not honestly super into hunting and fishing, I've also always had like a certain appreciation, respect. And like, even though I like, I feel like if it hadn't been for my dad in my life, I would probably never care to go hunting and fishing. But sometimes I kind of do want to do it just because it feels like a connection to my dad. Even if he's not even with me when I'm doing it, it's just I know I'm doing something he would enjoy. And that's just important to to that somehow. Um, so, yeah, just being yeah, having that honesty in your relationship is important to building a real lasting parental relationship with your kids I, I i would argue i in my you know childhood experience yeah for sure uh all right well we go into the next one then yeah um maybe let's go ahead and dive into healthy relationships um and uh you know kind of i i, I feel like this can be kind of a combined topic of discussing uh, you know, teaching the teaching healthy relationships, um, and then teaching sexual harassment. And again, this is inside the work and outside the work. Uh, I think it's really important to talk about the fact that, you know, you can sexually harass people who are not at work because this begins so often in school, specifically in high school activities that are boys will be boys activities that are often rooted in teenage men seeking out relationships that they don't know how to engage in or how to be a part of or how to seek out or how to like they develop you know developing these predator prey relationships to dating that are extremely toxic and often begin in high school and end uh, or or continue into sexual harassment in the workplace yeah, for sure. And I think that is the, um, that is the sort of key is to, is to 
identify this and this is where like sort of thinking about your own experience and improving your own attitude and your own outlook uh, manifests itself back into future generations because if you don't know what to look for you will just repeat the thing like because that so much of parenting is sort of like repeating thing your sort of understanding of things and if you if that if if your life has gone unimmed you know, you're going to end up repeating things that are not great. And so like, this is where a self-reflective sort of position is one that helps a lot because um, the only way that you're like, this is just like so widely accepted, so normal to certain behaviors from men that, you know, there is a sense of, like, uh, you know, like if you don't, if you haven't identified, Hey, that this behavior kind of sucks, you won't even see it. Like it won't even be obvious that it's happening. Um, so a, it's really important to pay attention to your own behaviors and what you think is like fine and normal and question like, Oh, is that actually true? Or is that behavior bad? Uh, the second is like, just like once you identify it, you have to recognize that you kind of have to work double time to offset the fact that like a behavior that's considered normal is um, that's bad. You have to like really come down and explain why it's not okay. You can't, it's not like um, not stealing per se, like, or something like that, where you can just be like, don't do that. That's bad. No one will like you if you do that. Get over it. Like the worst kinds of things to have to correct are the things that it's like, um, this is bad, but it's also very commonplace, uh, which means that like you can get away with doing it per oftentimes because everyone around you will excuse that behavior. And that is the like that for, for things like that, you have to be like, look, with this kind of thing, I need to, you need to really lay out the harm that's being done. Look, when you, um, won't, when, when you're pursuing someone who you're romantically interested in, you know, you have to take no for an answer. You have to do that because if you don't, you know, they'll start to think that you're scary or dangerous, or, you know, it'll, you know, you have to really go out of your way to explain the whole dynamic. And that can be really hard, you know, for a young kid, but it, you know, it, I'm not saying it's easy, but it is necessary because if you don't, what they end up doing is uh, they fall back to what is kind of generally socially accepted. But I mean, that's, that's the problem. A bad behavior is often generally socially accepted in this kind of space with, you know, boys will be boys type excuses. It is. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, it is. And I mean, in a, unpacking our own, issues specifically along the lines of uh, double standards i think is very important in this um double standards are something that i find to be extremely endemic among men that i talk to in my own friend circles and stuff of you know like especially when he gets into parenting uh start running into a lot of the these ideas of having a different standard for boys than you have for girls having a different standard for your sons than you do for daughters and this stuff 
folds right back onto our own double standards that we have within our own relationships for ourselves and then for the people we're in relationships with. And this is something we talked a lot about in our relationships episode talking about polyamory with Chad. Uh, in, in those polyamorous spaces, there are existing these extremely problematic uh, double standards that exist within the relationship. The, that that same like the the same uh, cognitive processes that that cause us to think that it's okay to have those double standards are going to reflect themselves into raising our kids and feeling like um, well my daughter isn't allowed to date at sixteen but my son is that's a problem like that's not just mm -hmm. an okay thing just how things are I just feel different about it when it's my daughter isn't an okay uh, I, it, it is valid that that is the defense that you are telling yourself. Th that is a valid argument to be having with yourself. I, I, I'm not telling you that isn't something you truly believe. I'm telling you it's something you need to unpack because it's not healthy not and it's not functional and it is not going to lead to you raising a healthy kid. Um, it, it's, uh, yeah, you know, unpacking those double standards, recognizing and fully understanding why you cannot allow those double standards to exist. Um, I don't know. That That's my opinion. That's something I've just repeatedly run into, I feel like, as a wall, uh, talking to fathers of, uh, of, of daughters, and like that comes up of like, well, are you going to let them date? Well, no. Oh, do you let your son date? Yeah, yeah, but that's different. He's he's a boy. It's safer. He's not gonna get in trouble. Like he's not gonna. Bad things couldn't happen to him. Like, like, or you know, whatever the their excuse may be. There's so much to unpack with that, and I think this is something where, like, especially when, well, yeah, like we as becoming fathers and existing fathers we absolutely it is imperative for us to unpack our feelings about gender and our attitudes about um you know actual equality and and about uh all of these matters we got to address and unpack these and we all have stuff to unpack this falls again into where we've talked about if nobody is perfect nobody is like an un, like a perfectly processed individual who's figured everything out um yeah, this is systemic and it's baked into all of us when we're from when we grow up. You know what I mean? And this is something where again, looking back at my parenthood, like I had two two elements of this that I felt like I grew up with a lot growing up and one was seeing dysfunctional relationships firsthand who were not like you know men who were not who i never called dad who were not fathers to me and were not father figures seeing them be predators in their relationships deeply affected how i pursued my relationships in high school and in the and in college um and and then that coupled with then also both of my my parents um enforcing the idea of being like you know of, of positive masculinity of like of understanding how like of, of of correcting me when i fucked up you know when i would do something that was just not good behavior was gross was you know issues and we talked about in the sexual harassment episode of i had some real fucked up things that kind of got into my head and processed from my first job and my parents were the ones who often saw that 
crop up in relationships and friendships that I had outside of work and be like, where the fuck do you learn that? That's not okay. Drop that shit. And that was a growth moment for me. And also parental type figures in my life who were older than me and who were coworkers of mine. And, you know, cause this is, you know, a village raises a kid, especially teenage kids who are in the workforce, right? Like our older coworkers are such huge parental figures on us that this is something we don't talk about in society. But yeah, like, I feel like, especially in like the food service industry where like the food service industry is entirely people who are under the age like who are like 16 to 19 or from the age of 50 to 75 <laughs> like it creates the system of like your work parents um and those work parents had such an immense um uh shaping focus on me growing up in my late teens and early 20s of being like that's fucked up. Don't act like that. Don't talk about that person you're dating like that. Don't like, don't look at your relationships like that. And it really uh, had an immense effect on me. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important too to like be vigilant, especially when it comes to the people that you sort of trust in your life, family members or whatnot, like when they're behaving with that kind of um, shitty behavior, um, you know, if you're at the position to call that out and say, Hey, don't do that. That sucks. Uh, you know, obviously do that. And if you aren't, which I totally understand, you know, not everyone is not you know, everyone's family or, you know, close friend circle is different. And you always have to navigate that situation with your individual understanding. I'm not going to go say, you know, if you, um, if you don't call out your racist uncle or whatever that like you're a bad person but like um certainly note it note that it's happened and when you're on your way home with your kids or whatever you know say like hey i want to talk a little bit about you know what uncle whatever said or you know that sort of thing because and and, and you know have the conversation about you know that behavior being acceptable or not um, and why it's bad or whatever, you know, don't let it just go like unexamined, undiscussed to your kid because kids, kids pay attention to a lot more than you probably think that they do. And they will absorb all kinds of stuff. Um, and sometimes it won't get demonstrated to you until much later. So like, you know, try to pay attention, try to note and note like, Hey, don't do that. That's not okay. We're not, it's not our, it's not our place to, tell him to behave differently for a variety of reasons, but you should know that if you should not behave like that. Yeah. And I think in almost every space of parenting, there is space for this argument that in my, and the argument is um, that do as I say, not as I do is a failed statement. It doesn't work that way. Like if you find yourself saying, Hey, do as I say, not as I do, understand that you are accomplishing the exact opposite of what that statement seeks to accomplish like kids are going to learn from your actions and if you are telling and, and, and I'm, you know telling your kids like actively like hey i understand that you know what i'm doing is bad but you need to do what i say and not what i'm actually doing like you're just enforcing that you understand that this is messed up and you're going to do it anyway. And so they're like, yeah, so I can do things that I know are fucked up as long as I understand that when I'm doing them, I don't know. It's a, well, what, what they learn is that 
they learn something equally as bad, which is uh, uh, adults are a special category that get to do the bad things. Um, and that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that, that is not the lesson to learn, you know, it's, um, and, and that just creates an attitude and they're just waiting for their chance to do the things that they really want to do, but, um, they're in the wrong age category. Like, no, you need to explain why it's not acceptable for someone to do. And if, if it's a thing that you struggle with and you still make mistakes on, that's, that's, you know, something that you're working on, you know, you don't have to be perfect to be a parent and you should try to correct the behavior in your children that is emulating the things about your own behavior. That's not good, but you need to be honest and say, look, when I do it, it's not okay. Okay. It's not an excuse. I need to get better at it. Okay. And just because I do it doesn't make any excuse for you to do it. You know, just because some adult does it doesn't make any excuse. You know, adults are not perfect and I make mistakes and, you know, be very honest with the fact that like, you're also critical of your own behavior. And that emphasizes to them that like, it's not that I'm a special category that gets to get away with this. It's that um, I just don't have a parent telling me to stop in the moment. And, you know, but I'm not supposed to do it either. You know, totally just be honest and accept that blame, you know, accept that uh, criticism right from the get-go because you can't, uh, you can't make a special category out of adults or else. Um, yeah. They'll just think they'll just be waiting for the chance that they are old enough to do all the bad stuff. <laughs> uh, and that's not, not a healthy attitude to have. Yeah. I think that's valid. I hadn't really thought about it in that direction, but that's valid. Like I, um, like the most the biggest example of this I remember growing up was like my mom had quit smoking for like the first 12 years of my life. Um, and then, um, uh, when I was 12, uh, my parents had a divorce and my mom started smoking again, which as an adult looking back and realizing like, yeah, going through a divorce after 12 years of like marriage, like that's a valid time to pick back up smoking. I get it. Like we're not perfect, but I very much remember the day, like I got in the car with my mom and she's like, now look, you need to do as I say and not as I do. And like before she did anything, my thought process is like, what have you done now? <laughs> and uh, and then she like lights up a cigarette and I'm just like, like, and it like, it didn't in any way, like if we had had that conversation, which I mean, like also like, you know, yeah, yeah parents are human beings like valid to at that point in your life not be in the place to have that conversation um but yeah that conversation about like look this you know i'm gonna make mistakes don't do them like all of that would have probably been much more much more helpful to me um that being said it didn't like make me like be like oh so it's okay if i smoke like that wasn't at all what went into my head really what went into my head was like are any of the things you tell me I shouldn't do fucking valid? <laughs> like, I don't know. And it, it just causes like you to suddenly question authority. So for me, it caused me to question authority so strongly, which isn't a bad thing. Yeah. You, your kids should feel open to question authority, but so I don't know. I don't know. I, I haven't, maybe that's a moment of my life. I haven't fully unpacked. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I think we're hitting upon a fundamental like 
uh, difficulty with parenting is that like, if, if you can't tell your kids not to do something that you aren't perfect at, you run into a different problem, which is that you can never make the next generation better, which kind of flies in the face of the whole mission of this podcast. (laughs) Uh, So like, like to me, I, I think like there is a sense in which like, you know, the, the hypocrisy of doing a thing that you tell your kids not to do is, um, you know, in, in, in many cases, a thing that you should try to avoid doing because of what you're saying, you know, it sort of puts in question your authority, not that questioning authority being good for a good thing for people to do writ large, but not necessarily like the problem is children are not, do not have the perspective needed to appropriately question authority. Um, you know, your your children should not be going like, huh, well, sometimes you say things that are wrong, like as they're like walking into the street with an oncoming car, like, no, uh, you know, they, they don't have the perspective to, to, to question authority in an intelligent way. Um, so it, it's, it's this really hard tension, uh, where I'm not perfect. And so I, but I have to teach my kid to try to do better at the things that, uh, that I do wrong. Um, and so like, um, unfortunately that's kind of the nature of the beast, right? Like you're imperfect. You make a mistake. You make that mistake in front of your child. Your child immediately goes like, Hey, we're not supposed to do that. And you're doing it. Um, and I think, you know, you have to be honest with the, the reality of saying like, that's true. Um, I'm not, uh, and, and be able to say in the moment, um, what I'm doing is a mistake you know, uh, you're not wrong. Uh, and I shouldn't be, but, um, I'm flawed and this is, you know, it's really hard to have that kind of honest honesty with yourself, to be honest, that your reaction is always going to be to defend yourself from this Mm -hmm. completely valid criticism. Uh, it's hard. I'm not going to pretend like, you know, it's, it's super easy. And all you have to do is this one simple trick to, (laughs) uh, but man, it's, it's a rough one. Uh, but if we teach it and we teach our kids to do it, it'll be easier for them. Right. That's my thought process. I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, because, I mean, that's, you know, that's going back to, again, the, the point of this podcast is, like, I feel like there's a lot of these things that my parents, both of them, did their absolute damnedest to do. They're, they gave it their 110%. And there's certain, I can also see that there's just gaps where that 110% that they were equipped and capable and prepared to do didn't make it all the way, um, but also did prepare me to be able to go a little bit further than they were able to go. And that's not like, I'm not saying like, I'm be- I'll be a better parent than them because I absolutely won't be like, I'll make different mistakes than they made. I'll make pro- potentially worse mistakes than they made. Um, we are all humans. We're all going to make mistakes, but it just, it's like, 
it's the, the this this idea of it being I, I don't know like tiered as you move along like as you go a little bit further then the next generation is able to go a little bit further in those same kind of categories um and and that kind of a building that kind of awareness like that kind of awareness is something that i feel like uh it's 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 in our society it is incredibly hard for any person to develop that kind of awareness and capability to approach these kinds of like personal flaws without getting super defensive that's fucking hard it's not that it's hard as people it's that it is like the way we have ingrained ourselves into society and trained ourselves through generations has became really hard if we can untrain that unravel that and process it out when we raise kids they'll have an easier time with this and that's where i think like the that you know parenting is a revolutionary action in this kind of a way of like being able to make it easier for us to exist in uh that kind of a like a a, a a space you know a personally like i don't know yeah no i mean you're you're right like it it's it's a really hard one like i don't think this is not one of those ones where i'm like here's a you know here's a trick that i've learned or whatever like the fundamental reality of it is like you can you know this is this is where you get this sort of like um more you know generic sounding advice where you know someone goes like do your best <laughs> you know i think how to deal with the fact that like people are imperfect and therefore we can't provide perfect lessons to the next generation is something that every generation struggles with and yet you can look at a lot of patterns and see that like it can get better and a lot of the times the places where it does get better are not because all the people involved in the chain of getting better over generations um, all suddenly discovered how to perfectly parent and now their kids are not great. You know, it was, they figured out a little bit, they, they tried. And the reason that they tried is because not because they were somehow a little bit better um, magically. It was because, um, someone in that chain went that was like what my parent did or said or how they acted wasn't right and resolved to try to do better and they didn't do it perfectly but they did do better because they had the bravery to question and self-reflect and understand you know how to do better and in some ways because parenting is a giant torrent of self-doubt. Um, all I can really say is um, you, you have to take some degree of comfort in the fact that even being aware enough to ask the question of how can I do this better is a sign to you that you are making things better. Because if you're asking the question and you're asking it honestly and you're really trying to investigate it, you'll stumble upon some answers. You will push back on behaviors that your parents didn't always push back on you as much or at all. And, you know, you'll make things a little better and your kid will unfortunately almost certainly turn out to have some variation of a thing that you see in yourself that you don't like. Um, and 
you just, you just gotta accept it. You gotta accept that it's gonna happen and it sucks. Uh, and you're gonna wish that you could do better. And you're gonna think of things, you know, weeks, months, years down the line of like, oh, I could have done this instead. Um, and it's too late at that point. And that also sucks. Um, that's a normal part of being a parent, unfortunately, just being an imperfect person, having to teach another person how to be a better person. Um, you know, it's, it's hard. <laughs> uh, there, and I don't have a, a, a nice clean solution. You know, it's just keep trying because trying is better, trying to make it better and being aware enough of, of stuff to, to make that attempt is um, better than the alternative of giving up and saying like, ah, whatever, you know, like, uh, I think, I think we've all seen parents like this, the parents that uh, just like let their kids like cut in line or whatever. And they're like, ah, they're just kids. And you're like, okay, but kids learn not to do that by their parents telling them to stop, <laughs> uh, you know, and just not, not being that parent, you know, trying, trying to make it better. I agree. And I think a lot of this requires a certain amount of resistive, direct action in your life. You know, you're doing things that are directly against the grain of how everybody else is doing the thing, and that is a really hard thing to do and teach. And that moves me on to my next topic, which is consumerism. And this moves me on to my mom being a fantastic teacher in consumerism for me growing up. Um, and... Um, and I, I just, like, this is a topic I kind of wanted to talk on of, like, uh, okay, so going into some personal experience, uh, my mom is an extremely resourceful person and always has been. Um, she comes from a extremely, um, uh, at times, low-income background and has always had to get by in life with her own resources. And there was a lot of things that I was taught growing up that were extremely contrary to everyone around me and everyone in the spaces I was in. And there was things that I therefore did that was contrary and uh, like against the grain to everybody in the spaces I was in. And those often that often came from that and the way that she would teach that to me and like an attitude of like well it doesn't fucking matter if everybody else does it it's the thing that makes sense to do and this kind of just to this day bounces through my life you know things like i know i'm fucking weird because i record my podcasts from inside of a closet it was a lot more affordable than soundproofing a room in my home um yeah <laughs> you know i know i'm weird for doing a number of exceptionally weird things i do um, and I have had no limit of people telling me that my mom is super weird for doing a number of things that she does. And that's where I got it from 100%. The apple didn't fall far from the tree. And I don't, you know, like I embraced that. Like that's something that I think is important to my personal identity in a lot of ways. And it's also a revolutionary action, right, of being willing to look at a world and say, well, that's fucking stupid that I'm consuming all of this just because the system of capitalism is telling me that I should consume this thing. I'm going to do what I think is best for me and my own, um, uh, what I think is most sustainable for me inside my own environment. Um, 
And I really respect that. And I think that's something that even though like she, you know, my mom was not um, grown, you know, when I was younger, my mom was a bit more conservative leaning and is, you know, was never really a like, I don't know, uh, you know, it wasn't that my mom was like a Greenpeace activist when I was a kid or anything of that kind of nature. Um, it over the years, my mom has became very much about sustainability. Uh, they have a small piece of land where like they're um, essentially creating kind of a like little sustainable uh, farm compound for them to live on with solar power and water collection and things of these na this nature. Um, and yeah, that's like deeply influenced me, just their actions in that. Um, and I think this is one of the elements where our actions are incredibly impactful on our kids because, um, and this is where I'm going to get on a little bit of a political soapbox. I mean, uh, but, uh, you know, we are in an incredibly important historical moment in regards to climate change and climate inaction and what we do as an immense impact on the future. But more important in like, and there's limited amount of like, I, I'm not saying this in that I think that individual action is something that can affect the grand scheme of things. But I do think that moving forward into our future individual uh, response to things is going to be just a necessity of life, right? Our world is going to dramatically change having the ability to do things that are completely against the grain to the way we've always done them in the past and are fucking weird but are based more upon the resources we have at hand and the resources we are capable and willing to use and the sustainability of those resources is of increasing importance both to climate action and trying to reverse things ahead and incredibly important to survival and surviving the times ahead um and so i and, think that's yeah oh i was gonna say and you know i think an important thing to recognize is like uh sure it like that stuff's weird or whatever like um also like what's true is um everyone's freaking weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, the, the, the concept we... of normal is is um brought with a bunch of head uh hegemonic assumptions it's like a bunch of stuff that like society has decided is normal like like football football is not normal what the hell like think about that like we we create this like weird like pseudo elliptical thing that we call a ball but isn't fully round and we stuff it and we throw it it is illegal to touch it with your feet except in one instance yeah we call it football though uh <laughs> And you like you get all a bunch in a, in, in a bunch of lines, and like everyone tries to like to like knock over the guy who has that ball, but he can throw it to other people, but like only once unless they throw it backwards. And like like everything about it's super weird if you just like sit and and like just question it for a second. It's very strange. And when you question the fact that it gives our the men in our society systemically gives the men in our society an incredibly higher percentage and number of direct brain trauma, <laughs> like from an early age, while your brain is developing, we're going to put you into a sport where lots of you are going to have brain damage. Right. Well, my I mean, even that, like my my point is, is like largely. Um, there's nothing normal about this. It's it's very strange, and it's very like 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 you will absolutely not go and find 
someone who's like, um, yeah, I found this football in nature where, where nature, you know, has naturally occurring football. And you're like, <laughs> no, like, that's not a thing. Uh, <laughs> like, just, just don't like, don't feel, don't feel like you have to be normal. Don't feel like you have to like, like just question the idea of like, what is like when people say like, Oh, that's weird. It's like, okay, everything's weird. Like, what are you, I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, and, and then folding this into more to the topic of what we were talking about a few weeks ago being uh, like, you know, um, 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 pink tax and, and, and rainbow capitalism and gendered ideas of consumerism. This comes into like, this morning I needed a garden trowel and went to Walmart and for some weird reason right now, I don't know if this is there's a potting soil because I also needed potting soil. I don't know if there's a potting soil shortage of what couldn't find any at Walmart. They just didn't have any. Uh, they also didn't have any garden trowels. And I'm just like, I fall is the time I'm like repotting plants and doing all this shit. I, it frustrated me. But anyways, I end up going to another farm supply store. And again, they had no potting soil. And I'm like, well, fine. I just need the trowel. I'll get soil from somewhere. And they only had one trowel left and it was pink handled. And I didn't think twice, grabbed it out of the bin, walked to the register. And I was thinking, though, as I processed that, how many men I've known in my life who would have went, well, fuck, this store doesn't have any trowels either, except for the pink ones. And I'm not going to be seen walking to the register with a pink garden trowel. And like, that's weird. It's weird to, I mean, like, and like and to be clear here, what I mean is within the confines of like our generally accepted society, it's weird for a straight like cis man to be completely ungiving a fuck as to whether or not he has a pink garden trowel that's seen as weird in our society it shouldn't be seen as weird it's weird that we give a shit about like what light is reflecting off of our garden trowels when we buy them but that's how our society works and it's just weird and i mean and that there's an immense value in unlearning those weirdnesses to just doing what makes sense it made sense for me to not give a shit and not go to another store and just buy the fucking trowel. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, uh, I think people put like so much stock in like trying to be normal. And I think it stems a lot from uh, like this desire to not, to not be like ostracized or, or whatever or thought to be like unusual. Um, and I think like the cure to that is to realize that everything is, is very, very weird. Um, <laughs> uh, it's and, freeing. It is very freeing to realize yeah. that every system around you is weird. So therefore you don't need to acknowledge when it calls you weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, uh, um, it's almost a trope of this, right? Like in, in media of like, where like, it's the crazy weird, you know, village village uh, schizophrenic or whatever that comes up and it's like uh you know and I'm, I'm aware that this like trope is you know problematic about mental health or whatever but like just for the sake of the illustration you know like comes in and then like like makes some salient and and crystal clear point about something weird about society that largely goes unquestioned right and like it's the guy who everyone's like oh that guy's weird who suddenly is just like uh you know who has the permission more or less by nature of his condition to to 
question the thing that everyone else sort of silently just accepts. And then, you know, um, we all like that guy <laughs> in that trope, like in the moment, we're like, yeah, finally, someone said the thing that we were all thinking. And he said it out loud because he didn't have the filter or whatever. Like, just, just, just be that guy. Don't like, don't, you don't need to have a mental illness to point out hypocrisy or absurdity in society. Just be like, society is all weird. And I don't like, I don't care if some random guy who like peaked in high school thinks like I'm weird for buying a pink trowel. (laughs) (laughs) It's cool. It's a trowel. Like what color it is doesn't matter. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah. And I mean, that's like in, in going to the parenting aspect, like, you know, that's teaching that is such a, I think that's a lesson that my mom probably never intentionally taught me. Um, my mom would probably listen to this chunk of the episode and be like, oh, huh, I never thought about it like that. Um, I don't think most of us would, but there is a great value in unpacking those kind of elements, those right there, and then imparting those elements onto your kids. And when we're specifically talking about consumerism, teaching your kids to not overconsume, to not buy into the weird twisted predatory systems of consumerism that's super important and super valid and 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 uh, you know like do that and I'll, I'll say like my experience with this specifically is actually like this is actually one of the best uh sort of like parenting moments is like this, like when you realize everything's super weird especially like when it comes to like consumerism you know this is this is if you'll remember related to like the pink pink blue tax stuff like uh, it's funny. It's funny as heck to like point to a kid and be like, Hey, you see these things labeled dude wipes. See how they're like $2 more and they're exactly the same as the other brand. Just cause it says dude on the package. Kids like think that stuff is fucking hilarious. Like that they will like, and, and importantly, they like, if you've ever met a kid who thinks a joke is funny, you know exactly what they do next run it to the ground (laughs) yes (laughs) and that awesome because if you have a person who's who's like reaction to to being taught about like the pink tax or the blue tax or whatever is to immediately go find every possible example and point out how that's also very funny you've just trained them to look for stupid consumer practices and uh point them out and not fall victim to them and they're laughing while doing it great job done yep (laughs) this isn't even this isn't even one of those like oh you know parenting is hard and there's this tension and you got to try to balance it and you're going to be imperfect this is literally like you get to be the funniest dad and you get to teach your child something at the same time it's just straight up wins the whole way down this is the fun part of parenting. And I mean, like, in, in my opinion, like, I, I don't know. I, you know, like, I, you know, we all probably had that, like, fun uncle. I mean, like, and I've already talked about, like, a lot of this stuff comes from my mom. But also, like, when I was in my early teens, I had a, I, I call him an uncle. He was just a family friend. who was a friend of my mom's um, who was, you know, the, uh, 
he was that you know the the what you see in the movies as you just mentioned about the the uh, um, the, 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 stere- the trope that you see in movies and I mean and that was his case he uh, he had mental health issues he uh, had bipolar he he, he uh, struggled with uh, being bipolar and there was actual mental health issues and um, probably in large part through a lot of the experiences he had gone in life through that he had a very strong disdain for normalcies of life and uh, often kind of acted out in public in ways that, of course, as a 13-year-old, I thought was hilarious and loved. I mean, like, not in a way of, like, I wasn't laughing at him. I, like, it was the the, the, the fact that it, like, it because when you're a 13-year-old, you love things that 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 challenge the system of authority and just the systems around you, right? And uh, the way he would, like, do certain things that got under other people's skin, I loved how that just, like, proved that it was all broken, right? And and he also loved that. That's why he did it. And we would then, you know, like, talk about that, and that was, like, a big part of, like, our friendship was that. And, uh, you know, that's, like, one of the things that, like, I don't know, I kind of, even though I obviously don't... Um, I've not gone through the life experiences he has. It's something that, like, you know, I, I suppose you look, I look forward to in a parent is, like, the fact that I have somebody who I can point that stuff out to, like, you know, the, the broken elements of our society. I can, when I do that dumb shit, there's somebody there who, who might appreciate it and, you know, appreciate it the way I did without the, like, as adults, we've all become so soured to it, I think, um, where... The broken elements of our society and our systems are no longer funny. They are just angering now. Like, for kids, it's still funny. Like, for kids, that dude wipes thing is still funny. You point that out to me as an adult, and yeah, I'm probably going to like, yeah, I noticed that, and I, I, it angers me for X reason. But that kid's not going to be annoyed yet by those systems. It's just funny, and it is very enjoyable to be in the presence of somebody who can still laugh at how funny it all is. And you know what? Like, I'll, I'll actually go go a step further and say, like, it should still be funny. And sometimes for me, it is. Like, like just just really, like, like the way to make it funny again is, like, a thing that my brain kind of does uh, for some reason just, like, off the cuff, uh, probably because it's broken. Uh, but like, like I see dude wipes, right? Like, and you know, like, obviously we're not sponsored by dude wipes, uh, cause I keep <laughs> trashing them, but like, I see those, I see those on a shelf and they're just funny. Like, like really think about like that taken to an extreme, like imagine everything you own having to have like dude attached to it. Like I got my, I got my dude uh sheets you know they're like cobalt blue <laughs> and they smell like uh the carcass of my carcasses of my enemies strewn before me like you just like just like really absurdify it and like it's funny like they're made of the same material as scotch bright pads 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent pure teflon man sheets <laughs> <laughs> like yeah Yeah, it's funny like you just like you got to have have the 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 thing in the moment to to just really like laugh at the absurdity of it all yeah i think that's valid um before i go into our sponsor for the day which is dude sheets do you need a dude wiped away use dude sheets um 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have anything else to add, or do we uh, do we want to hit on? Uh, I, I think we've covered all of our uh, main topics. Do we have anything else we want to dive into? Um, not that I can think of. I think like you know we've gone over a lot of stuff that's just like hard, and this is going to be like this has been a recurring theme and will continue to be. It's just like um, parenting's hard. Uh, fixing stuff in your own self is freaking hard uh so fixing it in someone else while demonstrating how you you don't know how to do it is even harder um you know if you just keep trying you'll get there it's you know it is what it is don't don't uh i mean, i i'm i'm very much against like taking you know big systemic stuff and applying it to the individual because it ends up being a bunch of like moral, you know, browbeating. Um, you know, there, there are systemic problems with, you know, being a parent with, you know, having to solve these problems and not being perfect at it and like ways in which like society has not set you up for success. And like, you can't do anything about those things. Like don't beat yourself up over something that, you know, you can't control or that even if you can that you're not perfect at like just keep trying to do your best don't don't let imperfection be you know the imperfection of everyone be an excuse to not try not try to improve things not try to be better but certainly don't like there's nothing productive about spiraling in on yourself and going like oh i'm such a bad parent i can't do it like getting into that spiral is just a a bunch of like unhelpful self-flagellation like yeah you messed up you can do better the next time try to do better the next time that's all you can do i agree 100 uh, um plugs for this episode i want to go ahead and plug uh next month on november 20th the day after my uh the my, my birthday we are having a um uh mutual aid fair here in norman i believe that's going to be at Irvine middle school again yep yeah Irvine middle school yeah so yeah be a mutual aid fair it's all the same things we've done in the past there'll be food available there'll be uh, uh i believe uh, uh pet supplies again maybe I, I'm, I'm not 100 on that i don't have the sheet in front of me right now but i will be doing brake light repair i know that for a fact we'll be having music uh, we'll be having uh fun things i'm talking to somebody right now i believe we may be able to be providing some free haircuts for folks um yeah all kinds of cool stuff come down uh that's going to be november 20th at irving middle school at 12 from 12 to or 11 actually i think uh 11 to 4 p.m um so yeah anything else uh you would like to plug uh no no you you captured the thing that i had in mind so <laughs> i stole the thunder well, uh, thank you all for joining us this week. Have a fantastic morning, afternoon, evening, or whatever other time of day it is. Thank you. <laughs>